Studs. And my guest this week is Dakota McFadzen. Um, Dakota's new book from the fine folks at Conundrum Press, Other Stories and the Horse You Rode In On. And uh, disclaimer for those that don't know, Conundrum also published the Ink Studs book. So, uh, you know. I think I have, do I have to say that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like, you know. It'll make Andy Brown happy. Yeah, Good. I can get rid of more of those books that are sitting in my basement. Um, <laughs> hi, Andy. Uh, yes, there are plenty of Inkstuds books to order from Conundrum Press, as well as Dakota's book, Other Stories and the Horse You Were Rated On, which you will probably enjoy more than an Inkstuds book anyways. Um, thank you, Dakota, for uh, taking the time with me today. Thank you. I apologize for the preamble. Um... Now, you are originally, um, you're a Canadian cartoonist, and originally from Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Regina. Lovely, mountainy, hilly <laughs> Saskatchewan. No, I mean, that's the funny thing. My, my dad ended up becoming a, a rock climber. You know, he was born and raised on the prairies, too, and, you know, we, we ended up spending a fair amount of time in the mountains because of that to get away from the flatness, so... <laughs> <laughs> um now grow uh, in Regina was there any kind of cartooning scene for yourself that you got to know of? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, 
Regina is fairly small, but the artistic community is pretty, pretty tightly knit and supportive. Um, when I finished my undergrad, I sort of met up with some other people who were making comics, and we sort of co-founded uh, just like an anthology of local cartoonists, and it was sort of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things, and it's still running today, Valuable Comics. Um, it's changed hands a couple of times, um, but that was sort of an early way that I interacted with other cartoonists and, you know, tried out various comics-related things. It's sort of where I got a lot of... Uh, my chops as I tried to teach myself things. Now, most people may not know, but uh, Saskatchewan actually has a pretty interesting tradition, um, older comics tradition with uh, Dave Geary. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with his stuff. Yeah, I am. He's uh, the first Canadian underground cartoonist, I think, is the credit he gets. I, I buy that, yeah. And uh, Dave Collier uh, spent quite a lot of time there. Yeah. producing some fabulous work so it's a it's a fine lineage to be part of yeah actually uh i had a job as a records administrator at the saskatchewan arts board uh a few years ago and my job was basically to go through old grant applications and i came across david collier's uh, uh grant application and his reporting letter and everything and it was all impeccably hand lettered it was pretty much the most exciting thing that happened to me at that job <laughs> uh Especially comics-wise. I'm guessing it didn't get a grant. Uh, no, it did. It was for okay. um, Surviving Saskatoon. Oh, wow. That's a fabulous uh, fabulous story. Yeah. I like that one a lot. <laughs> um, so, tell me about kind of what got you into comics and what got you excited to, to be a comics drawer. Yeah, um, I guess I've been thinking about that a lot lately, a lot lately and I I still don't have a very good answer for it. I, I grew up reading a lot of comics when I was really little. Like, I feel like my story isn't that different from a lot of cartoonists where, you know, I sort of imprinted on, onto comics like a baby duckling and they've sort of been a part of my life ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always, you know, drawing little strips in, in my journals in school and things like that, um, always copying cartoon characters. And that, that was a way that a lot of... Uh, my friends and I in elementary school would interact. We would like get Nintendo Power magazine and copy characters out of it and, you know, just sort of create these little drawn worlds. Did having the, um, I don't want to say extreme, but the very intense Saskatchewan winters help you creatively growing up? I mean, I guess I stayed inside a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did the typical things to stave off boredom, too. Like, I watched cartoons and TV and uh, played video games and stuff. But, uh, I don't know, drawing was always something that was encouraged as a way to pass the time as well. So, mm-hmm. my brother and I drew together a lot as as kids, and still do, actually, when we're in the same place at the same time. So, you went to art school. Um, was it specifically with comics in mind, or did you kind of have a general other interests uh i didn't know at the time because i was 18 and didn't know what i was doing um i i guess like i was definitely interested in comics at the time although in high school i had sort of drifted away from making my own comics uh but it was still something that was in the back of my mind a lot and still something that i would dedicate sketchbook pages to um but the 
the fine art program at the University of Regina um, is really like a gallery, you know, interdisciplinary uh, installation art kind of stuff, uh, even within the drawing program. Mm -hmm. And sort of conceptual art thing is uh, encouraged and focused on. So there wasn't a lot of resources directly related to comics. I had one uh, professor, David Garneau, who knew a little bit about comics and had incorporated some of them into his own work. And he pointed me in the direction of a few good resources, but for the most part, it was, uh, uh, I guess, you know, not directly related to a lot of the comics things I would later do, but sort of in, informed it in a good way. What were some of those resources he directed you towards? There was a big orange book put out by uh, Vidon Press, I think, Comics, Comics, and Graphic Novels, and it was sort of this really exhaustive history of of, you know, comics starting with the really early proto-comics, uh, you know, and exploring manga and things like that. And then I think he pointed me in the direction of understanding comics at the time, too. Like, I often felt when I was 18 or 19 that I knew I wanted to make comics, but I, you know, I didn't know a lot of people at that time who were making comics, so I didn't really understand how you do that or how you get into that. It's not like there was a support network or, you know, other people I could ask or more experienced people that I knew. So when you came out of school and got together um, with the other cartoonists you met, like, how did you connect with them? Um, there's a, a artist who used to live in Regina, I can't remember where he lives now, uh, named Rob Boss, and he had this little art gallery called Art Projects Gallery, and uh, he hosted a a comic jam show that was uh, sort of put together by this other local cartoonist named Alan Dotson. And around the same time, uh, my brother and I put out our first mini comic, which to give you an idea of like how out of the loop I was, we sort of thought that we were like uh, uh, bringing 1960 San Francisco back. Like we thought nobody's thought in decades to print a comic themselves and put it out there. Like, you know, we really thought we were crumb with a baby carriage uh, with, you know, comics in it. Uh, and then we went to this art show and met other cartoonists who were also doing that. And we were like, oh, like even within our own city, other people are making their own stuff and printing it and distributing it. Uh, and that's sort of what got us involved with that. Um, and then it was a number of years between that point and going to um, CCS, right? Yep, that's right. Um, did you take a break from comics? Were you still doing them? Like, what kind of, what happened in that time? Um, so, I had a, a comic strip in the Regina Leader Post uh, that was like a weekly strip and ran for six years. And it was, it was really bad. They're all, I think I've taken them all offline now. Uh, but that was basically my main comics learning ground and comics output uh, for a few years. And then in late 2006, early 2007, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, started uh, a program at McGill University. So we moved to Montreal and I walked into uh, Billy Mavreas's uh, antiques curiosity shop and you know, it was sort of pointed in that direction of like, this is a guy to talk to about comics in Montreal. So he sort of gave me the lowdown and told me about Exposine. And uh, I sort of made it a goal to do a mini comic and go to Exposine and, you know, table. So that was the first time that I tabled and was sort of 
exposed to this larger uh, national and international community of people making comics. And then, you know, kind of realized that I had a lot more work to do uh, to sort of catch up and make up for lost time. Um, what kind of work were you doing for yourself at that point? Stepping um, away from doing a strip for someone else. Some autobio stuff. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the non-autobio stuff is thematically similar to some of the stuff I'm doing now. Uh, one of the more recent stories in the book, um, Boxes, is really thematically similar to something that I did a few years ago. I'm just sort of strangers interacting or how much overlap there is between your own life and a stranger's life or these people who you see every day but know nothing about and that kind of uh that kind of thing but i did a little bit of autobio too um but there were a lot of false starts at the time i sort of didn't really know what kind of stories that i wanted to tell and i was reading a lot of comics at the time but often felt like I wasn't the kind of person who had a bunch of stories in my back pocket waiting to be told. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of false starts at the time. Uh, there was a lot of sketching and drawing and abandoned projects and abandoned stories, but not a lot of uh, substantial finished things. Is part of that decision to go to the CCS, um, I guess it's just kind of how to fuse it all together? in a way to like create that focus or yeah i i think i was feeling a little creatively lost at the time where i knew i wanted to make comics but i didn't know what kind and i was i didn't even have very good discipline back then uh, you know i i didn't understand why they were taking so long to do and i didn't find out until much later that comics just take a long time to do and be patient and work hard and they'll get done um so I was sort of just browsing the internet one night, sort of tentatively looking at master's programs and figuring out, you know, if there was something where I could incorporate comics into it somehow. And I came across CCS and it just so happened that they were having their portfolio day two weeks from that point or something. And we were in Montreal, so it was a short drive to go there. And, you know, we drove down and checked the school out and it seemed amazing. And so then that sort of became a substantial goal that I could work towards uh, as a way of improving my comics. It's uh, coming from like the Canadian school system, especially in Quebec, it's quite a financial leap. It was, yeah, that, that was definitely a factor. That's part of the reason I was uh, working at the Saskatchewan Arts Board. Uh, that's the closest thing to a real job I've, I think I've ever had that was like really full time like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was expensive, but, uh, you know, because I'm from Canada and my undergrad wasn't too bad, it didn't seem, uh, like such a crazy thing to have to take on. And, uh, my wife and I worked pretty hard to minimize the amount of damage it would do to our future lives. And we did okay. Mm -hmm. I guess she'd done her, her masters now it's your turn to do your masters yeah that was kind of the deal uh, <laughs> and then partway through my time at ccs she she switched gears and was like actually i want to do a masters in urban planning now so she went back to montreal halfway through to do that so then we were both doing masters at the same time and she beat me <laughs> <laughs> well having a masters in urban planning will probably be a lot more lucrative than 
than probably. So tell me about kind of jumping into the Vermont White River Junction uh, lifestyle and uh, immersing in with all these cartoonists and just kind of how that brought you up to speed or how that affected you immediately. Uh, Well, it was sort of twofold, I guess. Um, On one hand, I, I was finally felt... I felt like I was finally exposed to uh, a much larger network of other cartoonists and creators and people making such a variety of different things than anything I would dream of making. So I found that really inspiring and exciting. And I'm I'm not a, a, an especially well-read cartoonist. Uh, so it's really nice to have cartoonist friends who are like, if you read this book, you should check this out. Uh, so I, I think I became better read uh, thanks to that as well. But, you know, just being around other people who are working really intensely and really bringing their A-game sort of forces you to step up that much more. Uh, So the community there had an impact on me like that. Um, And then also just the program itself is so rigorous that within the first month, I I felt like I had done more cartooning than I had done in the last year combined, you know? So that sort of boot camp approach that they have... um, really gets you used to the idea of planting your butt in the seat and, and putting the time in. And it, it chilled me out a lot, you know. It, it made me realize that every project doesn't have to be the magnum opus, end all and be all. You can experiment and you can try things and you can figure stuff out as you're working on it. And it had a really big impact on my uh, approach to process and everything. What year was it that you started there? Uh, it would have been fall 2010. And that was when you started doing daily comics. Yeah, uh, I started doing that earlier in the year. It was sort of a, a belated New Year's resolution. Uh, so I started on January 10th. And similarly, it was because I was feeling creatively frustrated. And, and you know, when you're working a full-time job, there's not a lot of time to draw comics and I hadn't yet achieved the degree of discipline that I wanted to be the kind of person who comes home from their day job and you know draws comics until they're exhausted and then falls asleep and does it all again the next day so doing a daily strip was a way where I felt like I could incrementally make you know a little interaction with comics every day and it was actually the second time that I tried to do that Uh, I tried it when I was in Montreal in 2008 and lasted like a couple of months, and it was uh, a really disappointing, frustrating experience. Uh, but then I was reading a lot of James Kachalka on my lunch breaks at the art at the arts board, and uh, that kind of spurred me on to try doing the daily thing again. Now the daily ones, they're not primarily. I'm presuming I haven't read all of them because it is four years. They're almost one yeah. week off a four year three. Um, they're not diary. Um, they're kind of gag strippy. I'm gonna say, if yeah. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so I'm wondering about that process. Is like, is there an inclination to like to go there into that dire thing? You say, you know, reading Kotelka's daily strips, um, or is it something you try and stay away from, or is it a factor at all? No, it, it, it was a factor originally um, because at first a lot of them were 
autobiographical. Like if you go back to the first year, uh, there's a lot of, you know, this is what I did today and this is why I'm tired of this thing. Or this is what I'm excited about today. Mm-hmm. And uh, my leader post strip, uh, the weekly one that I mentioned, was not dissimilar from that, where it was, you know, sort of semi-autobiographical and, you know, maybe a little touch of fantasy here and there, but based in, you know, drawing myself, talking about things that I had really done. Uh, and it just sort of reached a point partway through the first year where I was tired of drawing myself and I wasn't finding myself particularly interested in my own day because a lot of my own day was either spent filing records or spent drawing comics, which is more fun to do than it is to describe doing. Uh, so uh, I was I was sort of feeling mixed thing mixed feelings about that. And my wife was like, well, why don't you just let yourself do whatever you want and, you know, not feel obliged to draw autobio strips just because it's a daily comic. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I did, this could be whatever I want it to be. Uh, so then I, I let myself go in the more absurd, surreal uh, directions. And it's kind of, you know, day to day, it even changes from that, where sometimes it's maybe not intentionally funny, and other times it's strange for the sake of strange. And then every once in a while, there will be, a, you know, I guess a an attempt at a classically funny, you know, comic strip. Uh, yeah. Now you're, um, we're talking about the dailies, but your book is not that. And I think there's, there's, it's important to kind of get that differentiation right. in there. Yeah. Um, book is short stories. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, they really, they work well as a, as a collection itself. And oh, good. It, it's, it's nice how they are dramatically, unlike daily strips Um, yeah and so tell me about that kind of that difference in how you approach those two different sides um i mean even often even when i try to be funny in in longer comics it ends up not being funny for some reason and and it it ends up getting a little bit uh melancholic or contemplative for some reason i'm not really sure why i think it's just because i have extra space and so i end up with you know quiet contemplative panels every once in a while, uh, just to finish a page. But um, if if anybody's read, you know, through the dailies and then reads the book, they'll probably see seeds of ideas start in the dailies and then maybe come back to a few times and then eventually become fully fleshed out in the longer stories that are in the book itself. Um, and that that's something that's kind of helped with that uh, creative frustration I used to have of not knowing what kind of stories I want to tell because the dailies accumulate so quickly that I'm able to see themes and ideas and images that I return to over and over and over again. And, you know, if something holds my interest for long enough or if something surprises me in some way, uh, I'll keep thinking about it and start asking, you know, storytelling questions of like, well, why is that character like that? Or what direction could this go? And that's how probably 90% of the stories in the book started in one way or another. Now, the book itself, um, I, I really liked it. I actually, I really, oh, thank really, you so much. I really enjoyed it. Um, one of the things I find interesting is it's a, kind of a, the disarming art style. Hmm. And, and I'm curious about that. Like, feels a little bit of Archie in there. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, some touches of Archie for sure. But it seems like 
kind of the feeling I get from the art style is, like I said, like disarming. Like it, um, it's simple in a way, without being minimalist. Like it's not super stylistic. Um, and and I'm and I'm really curious about that about the the artistic choices. With um, that. Well, the one the one story in there the the story uh, and the horse you rode in on is probably the most Archie-like one, mm -hmm. where I was, you know, sort of intentionally trying to ape an Archie style because it's a, a high school story. Yeah. Um, but Archie, I mean, I'll never escape Archie in my DNA because uh, my family always had a stack of Archie comics next to the toilet. Uh, so I've read more than my share of Archie comics in my lifetime. And uh, I'll love them till the day I die, especially uh, any Jughead comics by Sam Schwartz and uh, his writing partner, uh, Frank Doyle, I think. <laughs> uh, they just wrote the best Archie comics. They were always just absurd and bizarre and sort of got out of the usual Archie trappings. Um, so it, in some ways, I guess it kind of becomes a default just because when I picture the platonic ideal of comics in my mind, it's, you know, maybe something that looks a little bit like Archie comics. But that sort of is something that came full circle because when I was 18, I saw the Crumb documentary for the first time. And then I feel like most of my 20s was spent trying to digest Crumb and trying to stop cross-hatching way too much and, and you know, uh, trying to get that out of my system. And... CCS kind of helped for that too because you know you have to hand in as like a substantial assignment every week or two and they have to be you know printed bound mini comics usually so uh, spending a lot of time cross hatching and, and lavishing detail into something wasn't an option and I think it was probably for the best in most of my work to simplify things a little bit for the sake of clarity and for the sake of time because uh, comics take long enough to do as it is Although there are crosshatchers out there who I absolutely adore. Um, it's we just... All, we all can't be Joe Sacco. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, one of the things is, like I was saying, like it's the style, easy to read, um, kind of easy to bring in and think about. And so, so how much of this work came from... Um, while you're at school, or is it all stuff that you've done after? Um, a few of them started at school. Uh, Ghost Rabbit I did while I was in school. Leave Luck to Heaven. Uh, maybe like three or four of the stories in here were done at CCS, and the rest were all done after CCS. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, CCS kind of laid the groundwork and helped me figure out some creative humps I was trying to get over and then I spent the year after that just trying to tell as many short stories as possible. Um, this is the same title that uh, uh, that I titled my thesis at CCS and it was a similar package of you know roughly 180 pages of comics but it had other stuff in there like shorter strips I had done and daily comics and things like that so this is a more uh, focused package I think. Who is your thesis advisor? was uh, Joshua Cotter, uh, oh, who did okay. Skyscrapers of the Midwest. They're both kind of Midwestern. Yeah, that book had a really big impact on me. I, uh, I read it uh, during that sort of creative, uh, dark period where I was struggling through figuring out what I wanted to do 
with comics and with my life and everything. And his book really, really got me. Um, I mean, just the way he would use page turns and the way he would jump in and out of reality and the way he would incorporate um, things like a yearbook or an advertisement into the narrative itself, where every chapter would start with, you know, this piece of ephemera that existed within the world, but also contained narrative elements forwarding the plot itself. That just really blew my mind at the time. So uh, he was definitely one of my top choices uh, when it came time to pick a thesis advisor. Nice. Um, and for those who don't know, skyscrapers in the Midwest are the uh, the grain towers, right? Yeah. And Saskatchewan is primarily grain? Primarily, yeah. A lot of grain. Southern part, we we got some grain. We like to put wheat sheaves on everything as a symbol and heraldry and everything. Grain and potash. Yeah, lots of potash now. <laughs> Probably more potash than grain. <laughs> no, that, that's uh, not true. I don't know what I'm talking about. My my last boss was uh, from Saskatchewan, so I heard all sorts of of things. Saskatchewanian things. Yeah. Very unique place. Um, <laughs> one of the things I was thinking about with your work is. Um, your stories, you seem to be trying to resolve, I don't know if necessarily resolve things, but you're exploring ideas or experiences in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a lot of it is just things that I think about when I go for walks or, you know, when I'm sitting and inking and my mind's kind of wandering around. Uh, a lot of it is sort of focused on memory and time and that kind of thing, because I tend to dwell on those subjects just in my own mind a lot. So, sorry, go ahead. Okay. I was, you go ahead if you have more to say. Oh, no, I lost my thought. Okay. Um, my apologies. Oh, no worries. Um, one of the things, and maybe it's because it's a short storybook, is that it's... Um, but, I mean, people can do short stories to cover anything. Um, but you're, you're just grabbing points in time. Is that kind of sound accurate like you're not doing like someone's life story but you're grabbing just like it feels almost kind of experiential yeah yeah i think that's accurate i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i'm hoping to start a you know longer project at some point soon um but uh part of my non-comics background is in uh improv theater uh i I did like Canadian improv game stuff in high school and uh, performed with a group, a couple of different groups uh, after high school. And so that sort of has informed a lot of my approaches to storytelling in some ways. Um, and one of the good pieces of advice I kind of walked away from that world with is the idea of starting stories in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not feeling the need to set the stage and set everything up and explain, you know, how everything relates to everything else and how all the characters relate, because that's present in the story if you just sort of, you know, as soon as you say it is. Um, there's this quote about improv that it's like driving a car but only looking in the rearview mirror. And I think a lot of the times good storytelling is like that, where one little detail that's thrown in can change the way you understand a character or their relation to another character. And, and you know, when you're doing a short story and you don't have a lot of time to explain characters' entire lives and histories and everything, starting in the middle and maybe just having one thing they say or one little detail can, 
can speak worlds about their past and their history and who they are and what their outlook on life is. I was thinking a lot about childhood with your book. Yeah. And just kind of um, almost anxieties in childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of how you're kind of approaching these kind of fears or anxieties and I'm trying to think of a, of a good term to kind of sum that up and I'm doing a bad job of <laughs> that. Um, like, do you find yourself working through stuff with it? Um, or is it topics that excite you as far as like just new things to uncover? I guess it's just stuff that I think about a lot um, or maybe moments that were kind of formative moments in my life in one way or another, like um, the one story in here, uh, Skeletons, is about two boys who are best friends and one of them is moving away. And, you know, that's, that's probably one of the closer to autobiographical comics in this one, mm -hmm. uh, in this collection, uh, because that, you know, is pretty much how it went down with me. Like, I had a really good friend who I would hang out and play video games with and read, read Archie comics with. This was probably in the third grade or so. And then he moved away, and it was like the first time in my life I had ever experienced that, you know, sense of loss of, like, somebody going to a different place and you don't get to see them or talk to them anymore. Um, so stuff like that had a big impact on me in one way or another. And as for the rest of it, I think it's just, you know stuff that I tend to think about or return to in my mind over and over. So I figure if I get it down on paper, then maybe I won't uh, think about it and I can think about something else. One of the stories, probably my favorite story in the book, is uh, Leave Luck Behind. Oh, Leave Luck to Heaven. Or to Heaven, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one about the guy with the video game. Yeah. And it, it's, I found it really fascinating because it has such like an odd abstract not even abstract but just like it's so open in a right. way um and i'm really curious to know more about like kind of intentions with that story um was it something you struggled with putting that story together or was it kind of more spontaneity spontaneous it was pretty spontaneous it was that's a funny one i, w I, I wish i could do something like that again on purpose. Um, that was uh, a side project that I did uh, at the end of my first year at CCS. Uh, and I did it just so I would sort of have an extra mini comic to have at uh, my first MOCA festival. And uh, those characters would occasionally appear in the daily strips every, you know, couple of weeks or so. And it was just because at the time I was thinking a lot about uh, video games and, you know, the impact that they've had on me or, you know, thinking about how much time has passed since, you know, I played X game. Uh, and at the same time being really frustrated by uh, a lot of the online stuff I would read about video games because it just felt really uh, juvenile and uninteresting to me a lot of the times. Like so many of the discussions were just, you know, it, it all kind of felt like frat boy stuff to me. And you know, I, I had these like deep formative experiences with video games as a kid where, you know, they would occupy my dreams for weeks. And I felt like everybody was just interested on the level of detail in, you know, 
the new gun you can get in whatever game. And so I guess that comic was just sort of a way for me to uh, uh, lay out some of my uh, the some of my artistic critiques of of things that I liked about video games or 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 things that had an impact on me in one way or another. So you you played a lot of video games as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean that drawing and reading books and comic books and stuff was. That was, that was my bread and butter. I was really interested in the part of the story, um, and I hope I'm not ruining it for folks. That's um, been out for a while. They, they've had their <laughs> chance. Is is where the one character has the other character sit really close to the TV. Right. And the kind of just how the, it pixelates. Um, I was like, I don't really have a good question with that. It's just the part I really liked of just kind of how introspective you make the whole video game experience I mean that's of that. that's um, that's all sort of part of um, taking in new experiences like I was thinking about this the other day of like being six years old and my dad would always have to hook the Nintendo up to the TV and one day I figured out how to do it and it, you know I felt like I had like you know done some complex electronics by plugging the Nintendo into the back of the TV and it felt really good and all of those little experiences uh, change the way you think about the world in these small little ways uh, so you know sitting too close to the TV and maybe you cough or something and a droplet of spit gets on the screen and then you can see all the little red green blue uh, uh, things that make up the actual image itself and you realize that the image you're looking at is comprised of these little things and I had similar things with um, like uh, process uh, printing in comic books and looking really, really close at a Casper the Friendly Ghost comic and realizing that the blue was just made up of tiny blue dots. Um, I feel like I don't look at anything close enough anymore as an adult. And when I was a kid, everything was up close. All That's probably why I'm nearsighted now. Uh, you know, picking <laughs> things up and looking at them really close and taking in the texture and seeing how it works and putting it all together. and um, you know that was that was true for comics and true for games and true for every you know leaf and pebble that you come across when you're a kid. You, it's new to you, so you want to take in as much information as possible. How much of this book, because um, it's a short story collection, but how many of the stories are kind of connected to others? Because I see some of them um, kind of calling back to other stories, or having like feels like there's almost a continuum there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's points where it's on purpose, where I'll maybe put a character from one story in the background of another story just because you have to populate crowds and lineups with somebody, so it might as well uh, be characters who exist within that world as well. But that's also the funny thing about putting a collection of work together, because I didn't plan this to be a book when I was working on these stories. Um, and it's actually really similar to the process of drawing a strip every day, where I see those themes and images and ideas come up over and over again. And it wasn't until I had a physical copy of the book in my hand that I realized almost every story is set in this weird, dark fantasy version of Saskatchewan. And <laughs> it, it's just, it was really funny to me because I made all of these stories while I was living in Vermont and, and then after that, Montreal. So I guess I was more homesick than I thought I was. Uh, but, you know, it's all those little things that happen accidentally or like, 
there's elements from your life that you use because you think it's a good image. Like, um, you know, my grandfather has has collected cans for years and uses that to uh, help fund a trip to Mexico every once in a while. Uh, and so there's a couple of different references to that in this book of like, you know, these usually elderly characters picking cans. Uh, and it's just sort of something that's part of my, you know, private family mythology or something that worked its way into the the book. Uh, I, I mean, I won't say totally by accident because, you know, I was aware of these choices when I was doing them. Uh, but I guess I didn't realize how often I made references <laughs> to things or, or you know, how, how things overlap or repeat themselves like that. And uh, I, I was happy. I think the, the book ends up being a little more cohesive than I thought it would be just by pure uh, accident of repeating myself. Does it inform your process after having this complete work um, and then doing new work after that? Yeah, it, it's been good so far. I feel like I'm... A lot of the, especially earlier stories in this book, I feel like they were just all happy accidents, and I feel like I'm at a point where I've gone through this process enough times now that I'm able to make more active conscious choices than I used to be. Uh, I think my storytelling is getting a little better, and my my process and, and how I approach writing is starting to become a little more cohesive or consistent, but I mean, I say that, and then it changes every project anyway. So um, I guess there's always something new to figure out about how to do this. What do we have to look forward in the future from you? As you said, this book's been out for a little while now. Yeah, uh, I'm currently working on a 32-page mini-comic that's going to be put out by 1% uh, Press. Um, so that's sort of more... Um, more childhood stories, more like uh, childhood looking for magic where there may or may not be magic kind of stuff. Um, and then beyond that, I, I'm thinking about something longer I would like to do right now. And I'm not totally sure what it'll be yet, but I'm really taken with uh, the idea of doing something completely different. Um, maybe setting something in, you know, homesteading times or something and having the big, isolated, terrifying landscapes that I like drawing, but in a totally different time period. And I don't know, I just, I just want to make something that is sort of a storytelling sandbox for me to play in for a little while and figure out how you tell a longer story. Nice. Well, like I said, I really, really enjoyed your book. And, um, I'm so glad. Thank you. Hopeful to see more in the future. Um, thank you for taking the time with me, Dakota. Reminder, folks, I'm talking to Dakota McFadzian, and his book is Other Stories in the Horse You Rode In On from the Fine Fellows at Conundrum Press. <laughs> or fellow. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. Appreciate it.
Oh.